Hey, Gymnazo podcast listeners, Michael Hughes here, founder of Gymnazo. And I wanted to bring you into a conversation that another coach and I were having about this big topic of functional training and the back and forth that is uh, being talked about in our industry. Uh, this coach is a very important coach to me, CJ Kobaliska. He is our director of programming, a dear friend, and someone who I really respect on this topic because Gymnazo, we train functional training in its essence as we see it. And we have some very polarizing opinions on it and wanted to share uh, our conversation. We started to get into it and we realized this would be a great podcast. So we flipped the mics on and uh, you're going to come into our conversation where CJ is telling his story of how he got into this thought process and now what he does as a full-time job, as a career. And you're stepping into his story as a high school wrestler and an amazing, uncomfortable situation he got himself into where he dislocated his shoulder severely uh, on the mat and was essentially carried off um, the, uh, the padding. And he's now in physical therapy. His uh, assessment's been done. He's getting into his range of motion, and he's into his treatment. And this is where you jump into the story and our conversation unpacking physical training now in this whole mix of what we would call functional training and how we believe everybody who is a movement practitioner is a functional trainer. So let's see what you think and enjoy the story. Welcome to the Gymnazo Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. my mental state, like I need to get back to wrestling. Before that, I had to be able to shower, wash my hair, put my shirt on. ADLs. ADLs right. without pain. <laughs> right, yeah. So I, I, there was no talk of how to do that better. You just had to figure it out. Mm. Don't move too quickly and do as little as you can with that shoulder. So atrophy, weakness, pain, when you, you know, you forget how you reach for something, you just subconsciously go to reach, you're like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, Sets yeah. you out a couple of days and then you, you're able to come back and it's a lot of uh, ups and downs. Mm. Um, but I was just pissed off most of the time I was doing physical therapy. It was, like I said, boring and it didn't feel like I was getting any better. It just felt dumb. Hmm. And so when the PT said, just you're not, you're not supposed to go training, wrestling, or do anything else except these motions, I basically said, well, I'm not going to tell them what I'm doing. I'm just going to tell them I've been doing exercises because that's what I was doing. Hmm. But I uh, found myself going into kneeling positions, going into seated positions, going into prone, going into side planks, and basically just seeing what my arm could do in the state that it was in without taking it to full training. Hmm. You know, they say typically take a few weeks before you get back on the mat and just do some light work. And that's what I did. But 
I spent most of my time through the day paying attention to my shoulder and paying attention to how the rest of my body was working with it. Hmm. And I noticed that as I started to move, I get little kinks in my back. I get a little ping in my knee. I would get some neck discomfort. I'd have to sleep different. I have to sit up. And so I was making a lot of these adaptations to my daily life, not really thinking too much about it except for that I need to make sure I don't hurt my shoulder and that it heals properly. And uh, long story short, I got back to wrestling six months, um, did the little summer camps and um, probably went back into it a little bit too early. Didn't really do my full functional spectrum movements and get back into wrestling. To Did you even know what full functional? No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> right. yeah, now, no, no. now I go back and like, oh man, I could have made that such a better experience <laughs> and gotten back and maybe even stronger. Um, so I think back to what I did to kind of heal myself in that process because I didn't feel that my physical therapist or any of my trainers could really assist me. It was more so on my own, figure out how to move and function in daily life that didn't put me down into a downward spiral. I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. What can I do was what mm. I found myself asking. And to this day, I feel like that was the best call. My sh- shoulders continues to get stronger, my body continues to get stronger around it, and I uh, really wanted to share that experience um, with others who may have been going through similar injuries, pains, discomfort, that have been told you need to do this and follow the protocol and don't do anything else. Be afraid of doing other stuff because you're going to hurt yourself. Hmm. How can we flip that script? And um, that's kind of been my mission since that day, is, or since the, that injury was I want to help people heal better. Um, it's not necessarily that you can heal faster, you can't race physiology but you can do it in a better environment. You can be more intentional with it. You can bring more purpose to how you're healing and um, how you're performing. Yeah, it, it, yeah, real quick, you said something. You can't you can't necessarily speed up physiology, but you can certainly maximize what physiology and your biology has. And I think that's that's a big, big, big point. Big point. You know, the body's only gonna heal as fast as it's gonna heal from a, from a chemical, biological process. But there's certain things I think we do more often that slow it down that we don't even realize are slowing, slowing it down. Um, move, anyways, I, I could jump into a whole, whole other topic with that, but I think that's a big, 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 big point is that what can you, what can you do? Because essentially, I can say very simply put, uh, bringing blood flow to the area is going to help it heal, again, under this premise, not faster, just more optimally. And that's a, kind of a concept of what you said. It's like, well, what can I do versus what can I do? You limit motion, you limit blood flow. I mean, just from a simple standpoint. So, I, mean, I like look, that. Look primarily at, at animals, and if they they get hurt, do they just sleep it off and continue to do nothing or avoid finding food, finding shelter, and taking care of their own? No, they're gonna they're gonna find any way, shape, or form to continue living. Right. They they have to to do what they need to do. Yeah. Get it done. Hmm. So. So was that did, that, did that lead you into a thought process that now is your daily job? Like, did you, like, so going back there and sitting in, in CJ's shoes, you know, several years ago, how does it make you kind of question what functional training is now? And having the opportunity to be like, okay, how is it maybe misunderstood? Or how is it, or how would you define it as? Like, what would you say, someone sitting in front of you right now saying, like, like I am, I guess, <laughs> saying to you, like, See, what is functional training? Like, what is it? It's training that has purpose. It's, that's, to the simplest degree, training that has purpose. 
well, you got to ask, what's your purpose? What are you trying to do? What is your function? And so to answer what is function, I can only answer for me. I can answer for a general human population, which mm -hmm. is we coach generally, um, or general group, no specific sport, no specific uh, injury, just want to be more fit, want to exercise, want to be healthy. So, I mean, a big question to ask is what is your function? And there's really one function except to live. Yeah. But it's also how are you going to enjoy your life? How do you want to enjoy moving in your life? If you don't move, you're not going to do anything. You got to get from A to B. You got to get up in the morning. You got to take care of business. You got to get. You got to get from A to B. And so it starts with kind of locomotion, I guess, is function for humans. If you don't, if you can't locomote, how are you going to do anything else? Hmm. You're just going to sit in one spot and drink beer. That's <laughs> nice for a time <laughs> being. Way to go. But <laughs> but you're right. You should think about. I mean. Think about those those clients and athletes that are you know using the term clients and athletes as a, as one meaning in a sense. I want to train for life. You kind of stare at that and be like, "Crap! How many different sports is that?" Gosh, you know, locomotion, running. Okay, you got to be lifter too, man. Um, you got to be able to kneel down a lot. Got to go up and down. You know, it's like wow. Okay, so then you got to go from maybe a fast pace to a slow pace, and then you got to do that for. Gosh, how long is your game? Oh, it's for you know sixteen hours. Oh, that's a long game. How many days a week is that? Every every day. Okay, and you're at a sub maximal load. You know, to me, it's almost simpler. Like I play baseball for a three hour stint maximum. You know, maybe three and a half hour. That's a long game. Cool. What do you do? Well, I swing and I play first base. Oh, great. Well, how often do you leave first base? Wow, well, you know the bunt a few times. I got to do a quick load. You know, da 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 da. Well, cool. I can really niche that down into some specific movement patterns that we should probably, you know, essentially, well, you know, as we say, you know, wire together to fire together and vice versa versus daily life. You're like, oh, wow. And you have no idea what's going to come to you. You have no idea who your opponent's going to be. You have no idea. Okay. Hmm. Maybe that's a higher caliber trainer. And this is the way that There's I look at it. a lot to consider as right. a functional trainer. If you right. consider yourself a functional trainer, you got to be ready for any possibility. Um, right. Any and there's purpose. no seasons. There's no off season. That's season of life. It's your, it's your entire life. <laughs> I guess you could die. That's your off season. But, you know, you, know, you could take vacations. Long, long, long story short. So why, do, why is there this, but, you know, why is there so much chatter about functional training? Why is there so much, in a sense, uh, it seems to be this polarizing topic of I love it or you're an idiot if you do it. What's that mean, mean to you? It's easy to get lost in the weeds. It's so easy with all these possibilities, all this potential for movement. Your human body is capable of things that we don't even we don't even know yet. We're still finding things that, you know, people do a lot of like circus tricks or fun little things with their body that they're functional for them. Just figuring stuff out. But I think functional training can be get caught in that bucket of it's just a bunch of tricks. depends on what how you're training what's your purpose are you trained to be able to just do random things with your body well if you've got somebody that you're training your training is more about tricks and finding little weird ways to contort your body but you've got an athlete coming in who let's say is 60 years old hasn't done a lot of intentional physical training but they like to travel they do laundry they have stairs to get up to their house they have to step up into their truck they've got little grandkids We've got to consider all those little motions and positions that they will potentially be experiencing and also that 
uh, training access into new positions. If they have been so detrained, um, they may have fallen into dysfunction and path of least resistances that are leading to pain, uh, leading to back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. I mean, you can talk about any kind of pains, mm -hmm. um, but it's typically from a lack of intention in their training or just they haven't ever trained before. And so as a trainer who trains functionally, you've got to define a few staples for the people that you train. And so you can get lost in the variety and just like, let's just train a bunch of random stuff that may carry over to some results, but mm. may lead to dysfunction and pain because you're just unaware of what you're actually assessing in movement. Or you can put them into buckets and buckets I like to use are the ability to squat, to lunge, to push, to pull, to reach, to lift, to locomote, and to vertimote or jump. Mm -hmm. And think that's, like that's pretty buckets. much everything we can do in the simplest manner. Mm -hmm. Global movements, things that are compound, um, that if you've trained more traditionally, you may have isolated versions of a lunge, versions of a squat, versions of a push and pull, but you might have been focusing more on the mus muscles versus the actual movement. Mm. And so I think that's where there's a big disconnect in what functional training really is, is that it involves global compound movements. And we're training those for people so that they can get better at those things. Where I think on the other side is we're going to train the muscles to do those things better. Hmm. But there's a lack of carryover when you isolate and don't globalize the motion. Yeah. It's coming from, you know, both of, both of some bachelors of science in kinesiology, right? You know, learning those, you know, spending a decent chunk of our life at that point, learning all that different standpoint. You, you, really, you really pick up on this fact that muscles move bones, right? To me, that's, I, that was very clear. That was very clear. Muscles move bones. And I, I'm not disagreeing with that. But that's kind of where the story stops, you know. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what moves muscles then? And you got to think, oh, yeah, what are those yellow things that are on anatomy charts? Oh, nerves. Got it. Okay. And then well, what do nerves do? Well, it's, to me, it's like it's an Ethernet cord. You know, it carries a signal. Uh, so how do those things get fired up? Oh, there's mechanical re receptors that actually sense, right? They sense rotation, they sense pressure, they sit uh, stretching. I mean, they, gosh, I can keep on, you know, hot, cold, right? It goes all everything, the time. Everything you do to tissue. Right. And what, okay, well, what makes those guys fire up? Movement, right? right. Yeah, yes. movement, right? <laughs> yeah, so well, well, how do you get movement? And you start kind of reverse engineering this thing. It's like, well, how do you get movement? Oh, I guess, um, uh, oh, gravity, <laughs> right? Oh, um, I guess movement happens once you move, you keep moving. Oh, momentum. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and if you don't weigh anything, well, then I guess gravity's not going to do anything for you. So you got you know, you get this, you know, this got to be some mass, right? There's got to be some, some weight to it. Right. So it's like, oh, wow. Okay. So if you break it all down, it's really this whole concept of physics. And if you understand physics, you know, just plain out physics, you know, then you can really start to build this process up of thinking about like, oh, okay. So if I have these. These, these kind of parameters that I, that we all kind of eventually agree upon, which we could talk about the theory of gravity, but you know, then does it even really <laughs> exist? <laughs> no, then we can understand like, Oh, so this turns on the nerves. If I don't get the nerves going, then I guess what am I really training? I'm just training a muscle to do something that I tell it to do. Therefore it's going to get better at doing that thing and only that thing. So basically I was sitting down right here 
you know, with a notepad and some nice cold beers in her hands. We're getting, we're training right now. We're, you and I are working out right now. We're training to sit down, move our right hand or your left hand and have a good time. So we're going to get better at that because we do that more often. Just like if I'm going to take up a, a barbell, I'm going to be very good at holding that, you know, seven and a half, uh, eight feet of steel, whatever the case is, and throwing it up in the air and catching it. And that's a pretty cool thing to do. But I'm only going to get good at that if I do that. So I like this whole concept of like, wait a minute, you got to train for other small, very significantly insignificant pieces, in a sense, to make this whole global chain happen. Because if you're only training muscles to do something, then I think we're really missing the boat. That it's much more than that. It's, we, it's in fact profoundly do, much more than that. We do it subconsciously, unconsciously too. We're training, like what you said, sitting, sitting here right now, we're training our bodies to sit, maybe to hunch. Are we aware of our body position? Also, where do you typically put your beer on the table? Do you always put it on your left side? Well, do you always grab it with your left hand? Well, now you might be isolating a joint. What happens if you reach across your body with mm. your other hand? You're creating a new chain reaction in your body that if you haven't held a beer in your left hand many times, chances are the beer's gonna end up in your right hand most right. of the time. Kind of, it kind of feels left. awkward, right? And it's like, oh, what's this whole beer thing? Yeah, and that's what I get somebody coming in going, man, I just reached the wrong way. Hmm. And yeah. I, I laugh at a statement like that because. Not at them, about the statement. Not at them, yeah, but I totally get it, yeah. I reached the wrong way. Is there a wrong way to reach? Is there a wrong way to do what you just did? I think that's where we run into a lot of discrepancies is that we think there's a right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, creating a right wrong way, way to too. Right. Right. And so if there's a right way, that means there's a wrong way. But what if we consider there's a lot of right ways to do something and we start gifting opportunities to your body to train those other options? And I think that's where functional training can be very powerful is that it helps to reveal what can your body do and what currently can it not do? Hmm. Because if we find something that it can't do, you may initially say, well, it's wrong or I just can't do that. Well, we either need to make some kind of uh, change or tweak to what you're doing so that your body can do it, find success, and then work towards what it can't do. Um, or you need to figure out why your body is not able to do it. Is it a cueing thing? Are you sequencing off? Are you not linking together the chains of your hand to your wrist, to your elbow, to your shoulder, to your thoracic spine? When you go to reach, if your beer's on your left side, you go to reach your left hand, there might not be very much motion happening in your thoracic spine. But you take another hand across and it, it requires your thoracic spine to rotate. Right. If we haven't trained thoracic spine rotation, you might just isolate your shoulder. And now you may have pinged a certain tissue right. that lengthened beyond its state that it enjoys, that it prefers. Yeah, normalcy, I would and say, now right? it pinches and now i got a kink in my neck for a day. Hmm. Well, okay, that can happen one time. But what if that starts happening more often and in other parts of your body? Most people write it off as I'm getting older. Yeah. It's just it's part true. of old age. And sure, I think like there's some merit to that. Yeah. But, I mean, what do you, what do you typically say to somebody who says, um, I'm moving wrong or I'm, I'm getting older, I can't do that, or uh, very similar statements to this. Yeah. My, if someone says, Michael, gosh, it's just I'm getting older, I say, no, your body's just moving in a way that it's not very good at. And that's kind of my general statement. It's like, what do you mean that I'm not very good at? I was like, well, how often... How often do you, you know, this is, this is a very kind of um, profound, you know, thought that I say. It's like, gosh, I threw up my back picking up a toothbrush. I, you know, it's like, it was out of nowhere. 
And I kind of, you know, I look back and said, well, let's, let's, what'd you do that day? I did nothing. I sit at my desk, you know, it's, I'm in the middle of COVID. It's like, exactly. You know, you didn't do anything. You did a lot of stuff. And what'd you do the day before that? And the day before that. And they, it's just, it's this, even, even I'm guilty of this as much as like, we, we don't realize that we're always doing something and our body's always keeping score and it's always there. And, you know, I got to bring in this, this amazing word called fascia. You know, there's, it's always being relayered. Like I always picture there's this, there's a spider or this group of spiders always crawling over our entire body, laying new web every given moment of the entire day. And I love that morning when you wake up and you do this nice little stretch and it's kind of your body just contorts the, I don't tell it to do that. It just does it. And I lean this way and it feels amazing. Go the other way. And it was like, I didn't tell it to do this reciprocating, you know, coil type fashion. It just did it. And it felt good. And I didn't know until, you know, relatively recently that that's the fashion literally ripping itself, not ripping it, you know, but remolding it itself. And it's like, Oh, what'd you do for the last eight hours? I was probably in a semi-fetal position sleeping on my side. And I just broke it all up. And that's like that layering concept. It's like, yeah, I'm getting older. No, (laughs) no, you're just training yourself in a particular way. And you just broke that pattern in a pretty profound way. And your body said, I'm going to protect you. I'm actually going to protect you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially with like the lower back getting stiff, you know, uh, subluxation of your shoulder. (laughs) That necessarily wasn't maybe a protection. Yeah. Different mechanisms. But yeah. Right. But, uh, I think that's a very, very super profound comment. It's like, oh, wait a minute. So the more I train in versatile, well, I would say in, the more I can train versatile, the more I can therefore have unsticky moments where if your shoulder, if your spine doesn't rotate enough, it's all right, you have enough range of motion in your shoulder. Or if you do have a, let's say, a super heavy weight to lift and you do have to rotate in a significant way, your body says, wait a minute, that's not new to me. I can compromise, right? Compromise is not a bad word. It just can't, can't compromise in a way that's it's successful, right? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking back to the, uh, the, the old age comment. Uh, it's somebody specifically who sits a lot and they're training their body daily, but they don't consider that they're training. They consider themselves sitting and that's right. not training. Not training. You're, you're training 24 seven. You're training yourself to sleep. You're training yourself to wake up. You're training yourself into patterns of daily living that the more you live that same pattern, the more you fall into that attractor well, right. the more you fall into that path of least mm. resistance. I like that. And how comfortable yeah. mm-hmm. it is to be going through your path of least resistance. Comfortable until it's broken down, until you've strained the tissue that you've been using over and over again. Are you sitting two, three, four hours a day at a time? Are you sitting for an hour at a time? Are you standing in a certain position? It's not that sitting is bad. It's not that standing in one position is bad. It's not that sitting into one hip or leaning on a certain hip is bad. It's that we become so unaware and conditioned to be that way that we don't realize there's another way to be, which is more functional. Hmm. If you're falling into your path of least resistance, that may be your function. But you are limiting yourself to that function if you define yourself as your age and that you define your pains as part of age and you define these things as things that cannot be changed. You're denying a, a crucial part of life, a truth of life that is we are 
adapting, evolving daily. And we're setting ourselves either up for success or for a lack of success. It's one or the other. Yeah, it's like either you're growing or you're dying kind of yeah. thing. Are you walking yeah. and getting better at walking or are you walking and getting more damaged? Hmm. Does walking two miles hurt your feet? Does it hurt your knees? Does it hurt your client's feet and knees? It's not the walking. It's the lack of priming and um, access to certain tissues, certain parts of our body that's going to limit our success. And so I get somebody who comes in that sits a lot and I say, where do you think your back pain is coming from? They're like, ah, oh, I'm getting older. I said, yeah, you're getting older and doing the same thing. How about if we change something, which is to do anti-sitting mo- motions. Mm-hmm. Let's get into a stride. Mm-hmm. Let's not work on your back pain. Let's work on giving you access to your hips, your thoracic spine, and your feet in such a way that when you sit, you know that when you get up, you've got feet, knees, ankles, hips, a spine, and not shoulders. Not just the back. It's yeah. not just oh, the back. A low back, right. But those areas that hurt, they're going to ping you, and you're going to become very aware of them that you're going to put blame on those spaces. Mm-hmm. It is my back that hurts. It is my feet that hurt. Well, sure, it's that that hurts, but consider the cause. Yeah, and I like what you say, considering the motion that you do. So let's go to like a golfer, right? Which I love. I love golf personally. Um, it's a great sport. You hit one good shot in a hundred. That's about me. But about a hundred, and like, I'm good. I'm good. I got this. <laughs> it hasn't left me. <laughs> but you constantly swing the same, essentially the same way. You know, you load. For me, I load to my right side, and then I unload to my left side. And you know, if I do that on an amateur level. I'll at least do that, you know, just to keep numbers simple, 50 times, you know, at least 50 times because putting is a little different, you know, so even though the number is bigger than that, but to keep math simple. And then if I do that on the daily, that's 50 times seven, right? Because I'm out there every day just practicing, not playing, but just practicing. And you do that for a career, right? And that's a super low number, you know, anyways, that's a lot of wear and tear. In the same way, I would look at it like that's a car tire that you've never rotated. How's it going to wear? It's always on the front left side. Well, the weight on the front left side of that vehicle is different than it is the back right side. It just, it just is different. The, the loads are different. The stresses are different. That tire turns on the front left side. It doesn't turn on the back right side. So it's used a little bit differently. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a wear pattern that's consistent to that front left tire. I'm pretty sure you should rotate your tires. Why? Oh, to get longevity out of them, right? So it wears evenly, not consistently. And I get, you know, so it's a whole concept of like, yeah, you keep moving the same way over and over again. The body's gonna be like, sweet, I'm good at this. And because I'm good at it, I'm gonna keep doing it. And I'm gonna try to do that even when you tell me subconsciously not to do it. I'm still gonna try to do it that way. And I hope I don't reach my, um, my theoretical limit, right? You know, not physical limit, because that's a rip and a tear, but, you know, when you get that back spasm, that's a theoretical limit where your body says, ah, you're, you, you redlined. You didn't blow the engine gasket, but you Everybody's redlined. Giving you something. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's giving you something. Yeah, it's giving you something. Pay attention. So, most people in the world experience that. I would say 99% of the world experiences that, what we just said. So, is functional training an answer for that? Or is functional training just ridiculousness standing on a weird contraption? Like, how does functional training fit into that commentary that every single human being experiences? Well, let's, let's talk about this. What's something that every, I should say, most people do? And we've established this at the beginning. It's 
gate. Right. Locomotion. Locomotion. Hundred percent. So let's say it's that's the biggest exercise that that's, we do. That's your right. miles. You're, right. You gotta walk. You gotta get up. Even if you're just walking to the bathroom, you're walking to the fridge, you're right. walking back to your couch. Especially in days of COVID, you might just be walking around your house. Right. But you're walking. Mm-hmm. Is your wear pattern going to continue to wither you away, damage you, create dysfunction? Or is it going to make you more resilient, more aware, and continue to evolve and adapt your ability, functional ability? It's one or the other. Right. Is every step you take hurting you, harming you, or is every step, step you take helping you grow? Knowing that it actually is only one or the other. Yeah, it's one or the other. You can't, why would it be in between, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's either getting better or it's getting worse. And I think most individuals who don't have a good coach um, or don't consider uh, how they move as something important to how they live their life, they're going to end up wearing in a way that leads to some kind of dysfunction. And the list goes on, but most commonly um, it's going to lead to a broken down meniscus, um, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, hip impingement, hmm. low back pain. I hear we hear it all the time. Every trainer has heard their clients talk about one of those. Yeah. And generally, I hear that it's a blame on walking or running that caused it. Hmm. Interesting. And I'd argue that that's not what caused your pain or dysfunction. I'd argue it's the lack of awareness and symmetry. That your body has in loading that's causing that and it's your lack of training out of that asymmetry back to symmetry even though you're not going to be perfectly symmetric well, life, everybody life needs is not perfect symmetry, symmetry. Yeah. right you need good enough yeah you, we're we're not all ambidextrous we can't all kick with both feet we don't have two very very strong legs that are equal mm-hmm. right? there's some kind of imbalance always but functional training helps to acknowledge the imbalance acknowledge the asymmetry and respect it. Noticing your asymmetry doesn't mean you've got a bad side and a good side. It means you've got a side that you've biased and you've got an attractor well and a, um, a path of least resistance towards hmm. way of loading. Where other side may be lacking a path that's consistent. You may be right leg dominant and uh, somebody might pose a right glute pain after a four mile run and they think the right glutes at fault but upon assessment we find that their left anterior hip is quite a bit limited and we find that every time they take a right foot step forward their right glute goes into more loading than their left side Mm. so how can somebody make the argument that it's the walk that caused the pain versus the walk was just kind of the mechanism to bring about the asymmetry now we start working on a left front hip and how did your right butt pain go away that's functional training that's mm, wait, wait, is that snake oil <laughs> okay it can look like it <laughs> i think it could look right because it's yeah. not a, it's not it's a lot of people think it would, would argue that's not directly connected but you're like wait a minute you know i, I have dissect, uh, dissected a human being before and uh last time i checked uh it's connected pretty well you know it's seriously like yeah, like it's directly, directly connected, and to everything else. To ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah. where do you start? <laughs> right, truly. Um, but that's a that's an interesting because it doesn't make sense because it hurts on my right or my left glute, whatever the case, right? And even 
and I just want to rub that. Yeah, I want to foam roll. I want to stretch it. Exce- that's what's calling it. Yeah, get, right. Roll that sucker. Right, right. So but th- that's instinct. I would say. Yeah. That's definitely instinct. Um, so how how would the general population understand that more than likely a non-impact injury has nothing to do with the thing that that actually hurts? Like how would they know that? I mean, seriously, I'm asking, you know, I'm, I'm asking question. a trainer to a trainer here, you know, like how would they, is it our responsibility to do that? I think most certainly. You know, is it functional training's quote unquote responsibility to make people aware how their body actually functions? I would say so. And, and I'd also I admit, admit so. that we don't fully know. No, absolutely not. Why I mean, did that left hip make your right body do that? Why did your left hip do that in the first place? Yeah. And how long has it been there for? You oh, know, that's man. We speculate a lot. Uh, I think that's where trainers can run into trouble is being definitive on what, why it is the way it is. Because yeah. we may not really know. Um, but by assessing, strictly looking at the truth of human movement, what does this person come in with and present? If we do a spherical assessment, and I mean looking at how does their body move in a sphere around them, you've got a front, you've got a back, you've mm-hmm. got above, you've got below, you've got to your right and left, and you can twist in between. Yeah. If they don't know how to do that with their foot or their hands, it's our job to expose where those weaknesses, where those inhibitions may be. And it does make your athletes and clients feel very vulnerable because they might be moving in ways that are so unorthodox, though our body can do it. Hmm. And I think that's also where another disconnect is in in functional training is that because it looks weird, it's wrong. Because Hmm. it looks scary, it's wrong. Because you're not keeping your spine in neutral, it's wrong. Hmm. Our body has the ability to move through a lot of different directions and motions and things that do look scary. And a lot of times when it's scary, it creates injury. What's well, kind of funny? Scary. What's scary? Scary is what's taught to you. Scary is or what nature don't tells do that. you. Right? Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. Don't get up on that wall. It's, you're going to fall off and hurt yourself. It, it, it's, tra- it's trained and conditioned into us from a young age. Yeah. I'm scared to go in front of a bunch of tigers, but a tiger trainer is not. I don't know. Just I, I, I just thought of that right now. <laughs> I bet they're still a little freaked out. <laughs> but There's me, always a little lingering yeah, fear but in there. Me, but me picking up a 75-pound bag that's, yeah, you know, just have, have some fun with these numbers, you know, 44 degrees rotated off my center. That doesn't scare me from the ground. So why not? Because I know how to access my ankle rotation. I know how to access my hip rotation without accessing my knee's limited rotation. I know how to access my thoracic spine's rotation. And I know how to brace this tension network to act like a spring or rubber band, not as a mechanical um, hydraulic system that forces, you know, no, no, it's elastic. You know, I, I understand that. Well, and I think it's, I, I, and tell me if I'm wrong, but probably because you switched from purely machine-based training to more free weight training. Yeah. You started to expose your body I to got out of it, open the group. environment. Right, right, yeah. Uh, a machine, I, I would hope, I hope at this point from the basic understanding of most professional movers, right, movement practitioners, that a machine trains that range of motion, that that machine can go in. You know, the typical traditional, you know, machine you see in any, in any gym, right? It's only going to train that motion pattern, and you're going to get really good at that motion pattern in the position that you're in performing that motion. And I'm going to, I can keep it going. Like, 
even if you're slumped a little bit, you're going to get better as a slump. You know, it, the whole thing, it's, you, your body is only good as exactly as where it is, which is really cool if you're a professional uh, or a, you know, a, a highly competitive athlete because you just get better at that. And I really, I really like to pick on, because it's such an amazing skill of Olympic lifting. It's an amazing skill, super impressive, super powerful. <laughs> it's really amazing what, what numbers people can put up. But if you're really good at that, are you, how, how good are you going to be at something else? I mean, if you're really good at that, right? Like if I'm really good at swimming, how am I going to re- be really good at football? I got a story for you. All right, go. Uh, when I was a, a kid, uh, I got a neighbor who's a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. big dude, jacked. Like and, look, like looks oh, like on a cover Matt magazine yeah, guy. Yeah, like full on. Did the whole diet plans for years. I'm sure, he's on steroids. Uh, like that big. Yeah, he's big dude. Right, got it. He's built. We were doing yard work in the backyard, putting some gravel down. Mm-hmm. Got a steep driveway. It's only about 15 yards. Um, but then you gotta go to the back and around the pool and then dump the gravel in the back. Right, a little a few twists and turns. See, like. piece of cake. I'm yeah. like 12 years old. Fill the wheelbarrow up, wheel it up the driveway, balance, run in the back, and boom, on our way. Come back out, refill it. Bodybuilder guy is walking by. He's like, "Hey, you guys need some help? Yeah, come on, help us out." Dude fills up the wheelbarrow a little bit too too heavy. Like just. He's built those like ah, he'll be fine. But he can lift it he can vertically lift it. though. He, he lift, lift those two skids off real easy. He went up that driveway, and the first time he put a little more weight on his right foot, whoa, gravel went flying over. He was like, "Dude, how are you guys doing this?" Like, put a little bit less in there. He put a little less in. Same thing coming back up, other side foot. He couldn't level himself out. He was like, he was working hard to stabilize, but. It was like he was trying to keep a isolated approach, bicep curled, walk straight ahead, any slight deviation, lack of control, loses mm. it. And I'm not saying all bodybuilders like this by any means, but I think it's just a prime example of if you train in straight lines, Dream anytime you move outside line. of that line and try to curve it, try to rotate, you're going to swing a baseball bat, you're going to throw a ball, you're going to run, you're going to... You're going to move one mm-hmm. foot in front of the other and you don't train a lot of rotation, you actually do anti-rotation you're going to be preventing yourself from being fully functional if you choose to do yard work, if you choose to go for a run. But if you're training these lines and you say that I'm going to, this is helping me get better in everything, you're lying. No, you're lacking purpose and intent. If you're telling me that you're doing it to build, build this muscle group up, yes, it's functional for that. But I really think that it comes down to does your training carry over to what you do outside of those lifts? Hmm. Are you training curls to get better at curls? Or are you training curls so that you can build better biceps, but also so you can lift something from your hip to your chest, also so you can stabilize that, but then also be able to walk while you hold? Right. Are you just training with your feet together? Well, if you just split your stance a little bit, it's going to carry over a little more functionally to gait, to walking, to a split stance. If you do a deadlift, neutral feet, that's functional for a deadlift, maybe for lifting something off the ground, but I've lifted a lot of things off the ground with my feet not together, just not thinking about it. I pulled my shoes up off the ground, somebody's like, well, yeah, shoes don't weigh anything. I've had a lot of people come in who have been trained functionally and they said, yeah, I was bending over to put my shoes on and I hurt my back. Yeah, it's a lot of more comments like that. Picking up your shoes, putting a shoe on, you gotta be worried about 
that and sneezing and it's just there's all these fears that come up from lack of functional training and I think there's a, there's a very simple ways to just start to integrate principles of human movement so that you're lifting well sure it's gonna make you look good naked too but you're also gonna be able to serve your community serve your family serve yourself without having to be fearful of slipping a disc because you're old hmm. it's like, so yeah. so slipping a disc uh so you're saying you should be able to rotate and spin and lift. Doesn't that doesn't that ruin knees? Doesn't that ruin lower backs? Doesn't that ruin, etc. Right? You know that's a comment I get often. It's like, how are you doing? You're going to damage your client's knees. I, it's a true comment I've gotten, and I look at them and I'm like, first I was getting like, okay, it's a fight, but then I realized, well, wait a minute, I thought that way too. I did. And my current education limited me from my new education. You know, I only had a certain pair of glasses on and I just couldn't see anything else. So therefore it threatened me and what I knew and deep inside, I kind of had a little therapy session about this. It threatened me who I was and I don't want to feel threatened. So I defend. And in reality, I wasn't open to it. Because I don't want to think I'm stupid, so therefore I think the other person's stupid. And I hate to use the word stupid because no one's really stupid. It's just a lack of understanding about what is truly the breadth of the scope of this spectrum. And we have this tool, right? This spectrum tool that kind of allows us to see, oh, you're just on this side, man. Don't. It's all right. It's all right. I'm on this side. Oh, you're on that side? Oh, you know, hey, that's all right. You know, I'm on that side too. And, okay, so let's see where we are actually all functional trainers. You just have a function that's unique to that specific motion pattern. It's all right. Good. Do you want to do something outside of that motion pattern? Not really? Oh, great. Cool. Then I don't think, then you can just keep on doing that. But don't expect to move that wheelbarrow when I ask for some help. Right. As an example, right? So. How would you how would you kind of kind of bring this circle back and be like okay so what is that spectrum yeah how do you think about what functional training is answering why that low back actually can rotate with load truly and how it's it's not even touching the low back like you know, I think that's a big issue is that people they think about it's like you shouldn't do that you should stay spine spine neutral is one of the most commonly used phrases I've ever seen let's why and why is that maybe limited right not wrong it's certainly not wrong but why is it limited yeah i'd love for us to get beyond you're right you're wrong as as a training community it's there's so many right ways and it's easy to just say well i'm right and this is why right well, okay we'll have a reason why at least in 104 about it right, because right, yeah. there are going to be things that we consider as trainers that other trainers will consider different too and it depends on well, what was your training leading up to where you are today? What types of certifications have you done? What kind of sports have you played? What kind of coaches have you had? Uh, masters have you talked to? There's a lot of pieces that go into making you right. And so I think you, you bringing up the spectrum is so important because it, it's not about right or wrong. It's about minding the gap of where you are in function. Because ideally we want to do something that's exactly what we're trying to train for. If you're training for wakeboarding, the best way to get better at wakeboarding is probably to wakeboard. <laughs> if you want to become a better pitcher, the best way to become a better pitcher is to pitch. 
and to do it again. I guess that's true functional training, right? That's true. I think that, that's right? The I mean, is, would that be not be the, the definition? Yeah. I think it's yeah. less functional training. I think that just is function. Right. So function therefore, inside our facility here is really not that functional training. No, hell no. In the grand scheme of, yeah. if right. we're training for baseball, we don't have a baseball diamond out here. We don't have a mound. Right. But we have a box that can simulate a mound. We have space mm-hmm. to simulate 90 feet and right. so forth. So we can, we can simulate... Um, these environments. So I think environment becomes a very important part of the spectrum. Mm, so it's simulation training. Got yeah, it. Yeah, That's what we're talking about now. Okay. We're in the simulation. <laughs> but we're programming the simulation. That's true. Real time. We're code writers in the simulation. So I like guess swimming, uh, swimmers, especially with COVID right now, they shut down a lot of pools. Mm-hmm. So how does a swimmer get better at swimming? Hey, gosh, you got to get in the water. You got to get in the water. But what if you can't get right, in the water? Exactly. How do you simulate the environment? Mm-hmm. Well, it's tough to just create buoyancy in space. But pretty you're hard. prone. <laughs> yeah, pretty hard. You're, you're prone. You're supine, maybe sideline. So right. those are some ground ways to train. Um, when you're in the pool and you're swimming, there's also this kind of figure eight. There's this. It involves the unity oh, of your shoulders, your spine, your hips. Um, so if you maybe can't simulate the environment, what other parts of the swimming can you simulate? Well, you've got positions that you can consider, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got your mass and momentum, let's mm-hmm. say you're carrying yourself forward and you've got a flip turn or something, you can consider your momentum. Um, what kind of motion is occurring? Is it just one dimensional? It's just one joint? Or are you using multiple joints and are you using three dimensions? Mm. Okay, well, so now we can start to think about what are the motions that the person's going through in swimming. Are we gonna isolate it to just an internal and external rotation of the shoulder? We're going to look at flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, and then that transverse plane motion as well. How can we combine all three and now add some load that builds stronger movement in the swim? Is it freestyle stroke? Is it breaststroke? There's a lot of things to consider. Right, not just with the, the shoulder, spectrum. but last time I checked, the shoulder connects to the scapula, and the, I believe the scapula connects to the thoracic spine. And. Right, and the scap- yeah. <laughs> and the hip bone yeah. next to the right, it's right, functional. right. Is that it, yeah? That seems like hmm. So I, I'm doing going back to your original story. You know, pinching that towel against your rib cage. You know, because it engages more muscles, and then doing your drill of internal external rotation, etc., etc. Doesn't seem like the scapula is moving that much, nor is the thoracic spine moving at all. And didn't give me things to do while I was in my sling. So there was still time that I could have been training, but done nothing with my shoulder, but incorporated some kind of movement with my rest of my body. Right, because your scapula didn't have surgery on it. Right. And you can move your scapula without scap- moving yeah. your glenohumeral joint, right? Mm-hmm. And it was stabilized in a sling. So oh, interesting. <laughs> why could I not move that tissue? Well, I think it's just, it's dangerous, but life is dangerous. So... We've got to kind of step outside of this fear of don't do this, don't do that, and say, well, what can we do right now? Obviously, there's some of those motions that the PT gave me that were probably very important, um, that are very important, just in the initial healing phase to build some initial strength. The problem was, as soon as I got to a certain degree, I'm cleared. I'm still in pain. Hmm. I'm lacking range of motion. I don't feel confident. Gosh, that brings up a whole (laughs) topic of basically the medical side of movement clears you via via insurance to get to your ADLs and again activities of daily daily living it does not get you to actually any threshold of performance 
And performances, of, I'm using that in a broad sense. Can you brush your teeth? Can you go to the bathroom? Can you drive your car? Good. Insurance says, okay, we're going to stop paying. Clear. See you later, PT. Thanks for doing your job. And to all the PTs out there saying, you're like, oh, man, there's a lot more going on there, but that's the only way I'm going to get paid. Unless you're, you know, you get cash, you know, it's a whole different topic. I mean, but, that comes, that's why it comes right. into like, why are you on your third ACL surgery? There's something that's not working. Right. It's not your ACL. It's the rest of your body putting all the stress in your ACL. No. There's instances where it's like an impact injury where you're like, that was unavoidable. But there's integrity that can be built in the whole rest of your body that creates a whole new path of least resistance. I could at least minimize it. Well, minimize it. At least. Right. But it's tough because it's like you drive your car and you don't wear a seatbelt and you never get in a car accident. Of course. Seatbelt doesn't do anything for me. Okay, well, what about that one time? Right. Well, I wore my seatbelt and I got whiplash. Okay, what if you didn't wear your seatbelt? Would you have gotten more injured? Mm. And I think that's where it's like life is dangerous. Training is dangerous. We can start training... Uh, in, in zones of motion that your body may just lack awareness and freak out and brace and you strain something or pull a muscle where if you trained it you're now maybe not going to strain the tissue you just you feel you feel like the muscle may have worked a little bit too hard but how do you know that the functional training helped you just feel that little bit of a little bit of a tug that saved you from a tear or a rupture it's it's tough to study that it's the it's the what if scenario mm. and I think that's why functional training as a concept doesn't get a good rap is because it's tough to prove the beauty of what it can do for you. Um, and I think it's more of qualitative experience. It's, it even says fun in the word functional. Like it's not about just doing fun things, but knowing there's a purpose behind what you're doing that's going to make you more resilient, more adaptable and more aware mm. and more set up for evolution of your own, your own body and your own potential. You made me think of something. You can't the study, right? Oh, show me the show me the results, right? You know, not results in a human being on a piece of paper, right? Show me the study that says says that. And I started looking into a lot of studies to actually make a study a true study that someone would actually read in a journal. You have to have a controlled environment, replicatable data. That flies in the face of ADLs. It flies in the face of activities of daily life. It flies in the face of any sport, any activity. I mean, really, if you break it down to just the nuts and bolts, you have to have replicatable data. Wait a minute. And controlled parameters and da-da-da. Wait a minute. That's not what life is. So the study is already biased towards something like, ooh, you have to do the same thing over and over again. Uh, well, I guess we're not studying functional training anymore. Yeah, I don't know. So it's a small little thing. I just realized the whole aspect of is that maybe you can't do a study on this. You can only actually look at individual results as, yeah, my pain's gone. Or look at my posture. It's different. Or I haven't had an ache and pain in years, and I typically throw out my back every six months. Subjective, right? It's all subjective, but isn't isn't enough subjective results objective, in a sense? I don't know. I I really look at this whole thing. It's like, common themes that we're looking at, yeah. Right. You know, it's like it's this. Yeah, maybe this is not. If you're trying to, if you're trying to get a stamp of approval from a journal peer-reviewed double-blind study, 
maybe the study is the problem, not the topic. I think there's a lot to be gained from studies. Then don't get us wrong. I think we absolutely, absolutely, but not on this topic. Not on this topic. You know, Um, yeah. Again, because that's that's how I was educated. I was educated that show me the show me the journal. Cool. Yeah. Great. Well, therefore, if you do, I I I did a whole certification on how uh, lifestyle equipment. the traditional machine style equipment reduced knee pain, da 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 da, da. and they had results. You can get any study to show I the exactly, results. Exactly, I know yeah. exactly uh, because it's a replicatable product, and uh, it's just a. Uh, I, I know someone who does studies is going to say, "Well, Michael, you're missing this point, this point." But am I really missing the essence of what a, of what a of an actual, you know, laboratory quote unquote study is? And I don't think I really am because they're not going to verify it. And therefore, the result is in the person's hands. And therefore, each individual, last time I checked, is an individual. And the only way that functional training or training of any nature that is individualized must be bestly programmed, coded, right, Mm -hmm. is based upon the individual's wants and needs, functional capacities, range of motions, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, protocol in any nature is going to be, therefore, much more limited than it is going to be anything else in principle it is in principle. inhibited right you're lacking the full picture right it's giving you a picture but it's giving you a little frame of the big picture like the bell curve in a sense yeah but yeah and you're not looking at the, the rest the, of the curve the truth yeah, <laughs> right exactly you know? you're looking at a piece of it that in this specific population on this specific day with these specific parameters that this specific thing happened if you do this and this in this order this is the results you're going to get mm. and in many cases it just it's it doesn't make full sense because you're regarding that study as truth versus life as truth as soon as you put parameters on life you're not looking at the truth right, look you're at looking at a part anymore. of the truth so how can we as trainers come to an understanding that what we see is true the more you see movement, the more you see movement. And mm. the more you're looking at a specific thing, the more you're going to see it. Yeah, because I, I, I definitely feel, definitely I feel, I definitely know that human movement has specifics to it. Not, not guarantees, but specifics. Like the ankle joint has certain specifics of angles of motion, but not all joints. The knee has only so much, you know, valgus and varus in it. Mm-hmm depending on the person, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we know that the foot should load and explode in a certain way. And I love this big topic of coming out of how should you train the best athletes in the world? Well, let's look at the best athletes in the world. What do they do? Ooh, that may be counter to what pronate, you know, know, I I know I'm going to a, a bigger topic here, but it's like, is what is function? Well, let's look at the best in the world. Let's look at, you know, I, when I was uh, working in um, golf, I was working with a junior uh, junior golf academy, and everyone, Tiger Woods was blowing up that then, and everyone wanted to swing like Tiger Woods. So they would pull on the TV screen and say, here's Tiger Woods' swing, and see how he does that? I want you to do that. And in my heart of hearts, I was like, but that's Tiger Woods. He's six something, you know, a buck ninety. You're fourteen and a five two. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have different mechanics. And but it almost was like no 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 no. Just do what Tiger does. And I realized that that 
I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there's a lot of like merit towards that. Like, yeah, you need to mimic that pattern because it's successful. But again, at what point are you just going to start chewing up that, that junior golfer's back? Because they just don't have the same structure that Tiger Woods had. Right. And that's like, it's like well, foundations. Like where did they start? It, there's a whole process behind the scenes that's unfolding to get to that state. Was it a protocol that they went through? I think that's where we get caught up is like, I did all this. Here's what I want you to do. But it's not on the trainer. That they share, They're sharing a valuable, uh, or an athlete, they're, tra- they're sharing a valuable piece of information. A path. Here's my path. Right, exactly. But it's not necessarily the right path. Everybody has their own. And if we just stick to a protocol, like the medical field is A path, with, right. Physical therapy. This, you got knee pain, this is what you do. You got this surgery, this is what you do. You got this pain, this is what you do. Without considering their lifestyle without considering what are they actually gonna do, without having the conversation of do you understand why you're doing this? Or how you got there. Or how you how did this happen? Oh, you just had back surgery, so now your back is good? Okay, we need to consider why you need that back surgery in the first place. Yeah, right. Because you're gonna end up getting another back surgery or a knee surgery, a hip replacement, if you don't go to the cause. That surgery may have been a Band-Aid for something that's gonna be even bigger down the road, and that Band-Aid's just gonna get ripped off if you don't get back to what caused that initial injury. We may not exactly know what caused it, but we know the path that led to that. And if we're going down the same exact path, the same exact path of least resistance, the same movements, the same patterns of life, you're going to end up falling into the same trap. It leads to the same place, dysfunction. Or the good old saying from, uh, from some professionals, just don't do it. Okay, I'm, an, I'm a runner for life, and you told me I can't run anymore? Yeah, off. pretty much. I'm going <laughs> to keep gonna, running. Yeah. I, and the movie people to keep running yeah. and they're going to get the other injury and they'll deal with it. That's but so funny. That yeah. Either I don't do it and I have now a mental problem that from my physical problem or I keep doing it and I have a worse of a physical problem. And then I build the mental problem. I got Achilles pain and I just stopped doing stuff and now it's gone. No shit. You're right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. We need to figure out the oh. thing that you love doing that led to Achilles discomfort. How can we balance you out how can we symmetrize you to take some pressure off that achilles is it even your achilles is it your hip that's making your achilles do more work right we can Mm -hmm. we can start to kind of again reverse engineer how that pain was created and get down to the the culprit of it it's not part of your body that's dysfunctional necessarily it's something that we're unaware of that's causing a dysfunction all right so if I'm someone listening to this podcast, I'm thinking, all right, these guys maybe have a little bit of sense. Maybe they don't. Is the question I'm asking. So therefore, my client should be doing this. Does you know what client does this benefit? What client does this not benefit? Is there a client that should not do what we're talking about? Should not. Not a good idea. Honest to God, truth. You're already. They're already. Everybody's doing functional training, whether you admit it or not. You're doing something for some function. There's a purpose behind what you do. And a function is training with a purpose. Intentional training. It's intentional training. I'm intending to do something. Do you know what you're intending to do? Or are you just saying it and putting a wall up for the deeper levels? Because if you keep asking, you're going to have really a lot more options and a lot more confusion. Hmm. But you're going to have a lot more results. (laughs) That's not like that. You don't want to be confused. Don't ask questions. (laughs) It's easy. Yeah, no, it's functional. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. Don't ask questions. You don't Just don't do it. Yeah. yeah, so that's it, true. And hence I say, hey, guess what? If you're a trainer, you're doing functional training because you are. I'm sorry. 
to I'm what sorry. extent are you minding the gap of right. what you're doing versus what you're trying to do? Right. If you have a client who has a want and you train for that want, you're training for their functional desire. Is that functional desire meeting their need? And their need, they don't verbalize that need. They it's can. Tough. It's tough they to can. initially. Right. Yeah, I have. I my, my need is to feel better. Okay, how do we get there? Well, I may have a need. I you know, it's it's really sad actually when people walk up and say, "My need is to not have pain in my knee anymore." That's. I mean, the, you, to get to that level, you could really have to had suffer for that for a long, long time. Most people don't go at that level yet. Just deal with it. I'm just gonna. Do it. I'm gonna keep on going, or it's not that bad, or it should be there because I'm now in my sixties. Or it should be there because I was a catcher all through my teens and I'm in my 20s. It should be be there. And that's that's the hard part. Um, yeah, so I think I think it, uh, what, what, what we believe and what we feel is that the need of the clientele is being uh, likely, wow, that's a fun way to say that, is being um, not addressed as much as it should be. And functional training is the answer to that. This is essentially the want. Oh, sure. Go for it. Bicep curl it. Do whatever you want. You know, do the weirdest or the most traditional move you can possibly think of. If That's you want to lift better, yeah, train to lift better. better you better lift better. Also know that you there's other lift. stuff you're probably not getting better at. Right. That you might fall into the trap 10 years from now. And I think that's where it's tough to look that far ahead because you don't want to consider what if I'm in pain? What if I'm hurt? But as soon as you ask yourself that question, what if I'm in pain? Mm-hmm. What if I'm hurt? What do I do about it? And do you as a trainer continue to benefit from that? And I don't mean benefits from someone's pain. I mean benefit from the standpoint that you can continue to have that client in front of you earning you business. And if you can't answer that need, if you can't answer that need, then who suffers? Actually, both of you suffer. You, the trainer, suffers because you don't have business anymore. And B, the client suffers because they maybe don't have an answer that they're accustomed to finding answers with. So they got to go somewhere else. And build the whole trust cycle all over again to get in the scheduling all over again. And that may take weeks. That could take months. And that builds a distrust for the system, not necessarily for the trainer. Like if you've got a client that's seen three different trainers and none of them have helped, now they don't trust any trainer, potentially. Uh, that makes sense to me. I wouldn't. Yeah, if right. I was in that, in that same bubble, I'm not going to a trainer anymore. I'm going to go to a specialist, a, a specialist of right. some kind. Right. That I hope will expand my mindset. Right. Well, I hope will get me back to where the trainer can manage me. You know, and and I think that's that's the passion piece right there, right? That's the passion piece where I feel that the trainer should be the healthcare provider. Therefore, do functional training. Again, for the for the need of our clientele. The want, have fun with it, guys. I really mean that. Have fun with that. But for the need, which everyone has a need, um, eventually Right. What I really love about how we train, because we do train in three dimensions, we do train high-low, we do train mid-range and range, not joint capacity and and range for all these people again, you know, but from a performance range. And what I kind of say about it to most people is like, we, if you have any sort of dysfunction, it's only a matter of time before we or you feel it in these walls. And people look at me like, what? Am I going to get injured here? It's like, no, 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 no. You're going to get better. And eventually, your RPM gauge will be limited at five. But you know with more physiological adaptation, you can get to eight. But that knee joint stops at five. Your shoulder, thoracic spine, hip are already at six. 
they're going to be at seven soon. That knee's going to want to need to catch up, and it has its limiting movement capacity. Is it the knee's fault? More than likely not, you know, etc. So yeah, welcome. We welcome that need to come up. If you don't have it in the beginning, we'll find it for you, and we'll take care of it for you. And that's why, oh man, I want every trainer, movement practitioner to be able to like, yep, I got you covered, at least to the basic dev level. Versus like, mm, let's just change the action. Ooh, we got to stop training. Ah, dang it. Or let's just never do that sort of movement again and hope that that gap that we're now not filling never comes up, which is impossible. I don't know. That's that's my kind of heart and soul poured out. It's like, wait a minute. I think we're capable of this because physical therapy is not necessarily doing it. Nothing against physical therapists. It's been the system mm-hmm. of physical therapy. I know some great physical therapists that are expanding how they're serving and it's beyond the protocol um, in the most positive ways. Absolutely. It's, they have a heart of gold. learning and partnering yeah. with the person that you're serving. It's You're not just, here's the paper. I've seen so many, just you get the intern, oh, you did your exercises, okay, you're good to go, you're cleared. I've There's been part no of that system. There's no intentional yeah. partnership. There's no learning about this person. If you don't know who the person is in front of you, at least to a certain degree, where they want to be, where they've been, you can't walk along their path with them. And if you're not walking along the path with them, you're kind of just sending them on their way and saying, good luck. And now you've been cleared and now you're going to the real world. And hope it's okay. It's like you never drank alcohol before and you go to college. <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah, you can have a good, you have a good Friday night. <laughs> well, that much. Good stuff. <laughs> Maybe in the stuck between a wall and a toilet. I am damaged. This is rough. But yeah, and again, you know, I want to emphasize this for those, for those listening. It's the system, I believe, is the issue. You know, no one goes into human services that doesn't have a heart of gold. No way. You just can't manage it. You just can't stomach it. Because um, you're dealing with one of the most complicated things in the world, which is the human body. I think we know more about space than we do our own brain. Anyways, you know, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy topic. All right, so, gosh, I don't know how long it's been. This has been awesome. What's... What do we do about this? What do we do about functional training? What do we do about this concept? Like, let's say that no one disagrees with us whatsoever, right? Unlikely. I hope no. I hope not, because <laughs> we're we're not that smart. What do we do about this? You know, what do we do? What do we do about this concept? Like, okay, functional training is at least defined by us by how we just described it over the past hour. Um, what do we do about this concept? Like, okay, so here's how we're going to progress it. And is there a limit to it? Like, is there a point you're like, okay, hey, 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 you know, stop closing your eyes, put a ball on your nose and standing on a BOSU ball, you know, like, come on, you know, like, where's that limit? Or is it limitless? It's just our own capacity to understand physics in relation to the human body. I think the science is changing so fast because we're, we're becoming more open-minded, um, but at the same time, more people are going to become closed-minded. So there's this bigger gap that it's almost hmm. like functional hmm. training is on one end and non-functional is on the other. It's like, well, no, it's, it's, a, it's a spectrum. We need to realize that. You're not on one of the other camps. You're on the spectrum of functional training always. And are you looking at things more one-dimensionally, more as isolated pieces, and looking microscopically at movement? Or are you looking at it very globally, almost too expanded, too much variety, too many options. And it starts with just minding where you are on this spectrum, on that gap. If we realize that every single trainer is on this spectrum, and we trust that, 
Now we can start to collaborate. Now we can start to understand why people do the things they do. Because if you see somebody having a client rotate and it looks like their form is off, do you know where that client was a year ago? Hmm. You've got to consider there's a lot more things that we don't see. And if we're so bombarded by what's on social media, what's on the videos on YouTube, what's on what, this, that, and the other, if you're not plugged into the environment of where these things are happening, ask questions versus assume and call out. Um, this really is a is a field that needs to expand as one as a group of trainers as a group of individuals who are here to serve their community and their people. It's a lot of competition and a lot of I think testosterone masculine energy in it of this is right this is wrong and kind of have the logic and reason so much involved and we end up on just the study side and we only trust studies. If it's not a study, we can't do it. Well, there's a lot of things that we don't understand and we can't study. I think most things started without a study. Yeah, there's no tools essentially to gauge that level of success or gauge the results potentially Hmm. for certain things. I like how you said that. Yeah, And so we need to to start to level up and evolve our level of thinking versus relying on the tools we currently have. Because our thinking will make the tools evolve. It will make the, the results evolve like we we need to start treating the person that's in front of us consider the truths of human movement consider what humans can do generally and if you don't know that start asking start asking yourself what am i capable of you're not going to have one answer you shouldn't have one answer maybe i'm capable of living okay you start there what does living mean to you yeah what's successful living let yourself define that because you're going to learn a lot about yourself and that Five minutes, two days, ten years of asking that question, and it's gonna it should continue to evolve, because we if we're fixed and saying this is the way to do things, and we're waiting for the studies to show what we can and can't do, we're missing an opportunity to serve the person in front of us. We're treating it like a transaction if we're just saying, oh, this is what you do, here's what you're gonna do, and you do it, and hope you don't question and say it's not working, right? Because then you're like, oh, what do I do then? Yeah, there was a study or something that said that just coaching verbal cues, no matter what they were, made the person feel more successful and want to come back. Like it was just verbal, being verbal with your athlete, telling them what you see and telling the truth. It's easy to assume and say what you think is the cause or what you think is going on and regard it as truth. And if you've got a client in front of you who hasn't really had a lot of trainers, they might just regard you as authority. And now is where there's trouble because if you mm-hmm. say something and they get hurt, it's your fault. Everybody's got a mind, everybody's got a body that they can pay attention to. And if we can start facilitating a conversation that allows them to ask those questions, what do I want to do? What can I do? What currently causes me pain? Well, now we've got at least a starting point to pull them into more function, which is this is causing me pain right now. How can we get out of it? Pain's not a bad thing. Pain's a signal telling us that something is dysfunctional. Something's off. There's mayday, mayday, mayday. We've got to change. We've got yeah. to become aware. Sometimes pain just pops up, but if it's recurring, becoming more aggravated, you're going down the dysfunctional scale. If you're feeling stronger, more resilient, very subtle growth in results, you're on a track to become more adaptable and and more capable. Yeah, I gosh, what I would love to see is people post results. Post like, hey, this is what I had on day one. I don't care if it's day. Th- hundred I don't care if it's day a thousand and here's the result that happened and here was my methodology my mindset and what I did Ooh, cool I like that 
I like that. Let's talk about that. Versus here's a picture, and someone say, what the F are you doing? I cannot believe you're doing this. Well, wait a minute. You don't even know. You don't even know. You don't even ask my question. There's some crazy stuff out there, too, but there is. I know, but at least ask the questions. Like, why are you doing that? Oh, I'm doing it because this, 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 this. Yeah, I've certainly posted a, a few things. I know you've posted a, a few things. But like, that looks weird. Yeah, I hope it just raises questions. Oh, yeah, ask a question because the true stupidness is if they don't have a reason why. I'm not calling that stupid, right? That should be there. Sometimes like, you just do stuff and you don't know why you're doing it. But I get it. But at least you, at least you know you don't know why you're doing it. Versus you think you make something up. I think that's the most important is that having that background intention of saying, I'm doing this to try to get a result of, of, a, of, of X. And here I go. Let's study together. Let's be the study. Right. By Be, asking the questions. Right. Because again, what it comes down to, like, I, I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. The functional trainer, quote unquote, therefore, if you're a movement practitioner in any shape or sort, you are the next wave of healthcare. I, I just, I, from the depths of my body, believe that. And I believe you should be earning six figures. And I believe you should be working not 80 hours a week. And that's a lot, you know, so, you know, you should be, you should have a holiday. You should be having time off. You should be leveraging your time to a point and you should be the front lines of health. And doctors should be the ones who are fixing the crazy problems. And when someone is sick, yes, you go for it. And we should, we should de-stress the medical load. The medical system. If it's a movement dysfunction, a movement specialist should, should manage be the one it. Handling it. Right, yeah. right. And uh, uh, you know, there's six hundred and sixty billion dollars annually every year that gets paid on muscular skeletal disorders, and the training world sees zero of that. I don't know about that. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to me when nine out of 10 cases are non-surgical in orthopedic offices. So that means nine people we could have helped. Hmm. Just if we ask questions on what is function, what's their function? I don't know. I like it. I'm excited about it. Be that light in somebody, you know, be that light in your members' eyes. Be that light that helps them say like, there's hope. Because hope isn't the solve all. Hope is simply a way to get back on track. Then you gotta, actually have results right you gotta have a methodology you keep hoping to follow your whole life but if you're still in pain you're just lying to yourself <laughs> yeah hope is square one which is critical never re- remove that um and then dive into it all right guys cj thank <laughs> you so much this is great everybody uh hope you enjoy this feel free to leave leave a comment uh find us on uh instagram find us on youtube gymnazo uh edu uh cj's handle is movement exploration um, channel. Channel. That's right. On Instagram, I'm 3D underscore athlete. And uh, we are uh, coaches at this uh, forward, maybe crazy place called Gymnazo. Till the next time. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So 
share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That's hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business, and to reach more people, please go check out gymnazoedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnazoedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember, that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.